Jesus, you stood on a mount before your disciples and you said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me by my Father. All authority. And so we stand in the power of the all supreme authority of you here this morning, Jesus. And you said on that mountain, I will never leave you. I will be with you until the end of the age. Jesus, you say to us this morning, I come and I give you power and my presence. Who couldn't stand with that kind of promise? So help us. We pray to see you clearly. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. And if you could open your Bibles to Matthew. This is Matthew's story of the birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28. When we brought the story of Jesus' death to a close this last Friday evening, Jesus had just cried out in anguish to the Father after drinking the cup of God's wrath and judgment so that the relationship with our God that had been broken by our sin could be restored. It is now three days later, Sunday. And as Matthew brings his story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to a climactic conclusion, I want us to observe three things. We're going to go through the whole chapter this morning, Matthew 28. And we are going to see in this chapter the joy of the risen Messiah, the skeptics of the risen Messiah, and the joy-filled messengers of the risen Messiah. First, the joy of the risen Messiah, Matthew 28, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Why? Why did they go to visit a tomb? Because Jesus was, in fact, dead, and his body was buried behind a massive stone that closed the entrance to his tomb. And this is what people who are deeply saddened by the death of someone they deeply love do. They visit tombs. Same then as now. They visit grave sites. They mourn the pain of loss that is only three days old. And it all happened so fast on Friday. And they needed to get his body off that cross before Passover and buried. So they hadn't had time to process. They hadn't had time to properly prepare him for burial. Even though the woman with expensive perfume had already anointed him for his burial. So they approach early because they can't stay away. Suddenly, Verse 2, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Curious. His face shone like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. 
The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint, or literally became like corpses. Ironic. Okay, so as I read this text a couple of days ago, I saw something I'd never seen before. (laughs) Namely, while there is a response of fear at the supernatural appearance of this powerful angel, I want you to start noticing something far more important as we make our way through this end of the story. It is shot through with joy. It is positively dripping with happiness. It explodes with jubilation and celebration and pleasure and exhilaration and bliss and gladness and giddiness and glee. Honestly, if we will open our eyes and hearts to just see it, we will understand that this story is absolutely reverberating with joy. And I think a glimpse of that joy is the angel rolling aside a stone and sitting on it. Okay, like seriously. Peter tells us, he tells us that the events of the last three days that have just happened are the things when he writes, he says, these are the things in which angels long to look. They get excited about what is happening. And at this point in the story, Jesus has already risen from the dead, right? So I want you to consider the party in heaven that has already begun. Everyone there is already aware. I wonder if when the Father turned to the angelic host in the midst of a heavenly soiree to choose an angel for this task, among, we know in Revelation, we know there are millions of angels, right? Okay, so Jesus rises from the dead. Everybody's partying because he did what he said he was going to do. The Son of Man has risen. And the Father's like, okay, um, I need an angel. Can you, like 10 million hands, pick me, pick me. I want to go. And here's our winner. Having rolled aside the stone, sitting on top of it, looking out, like just radiating, looking out at shocked guards and frightened women. I I wonder if he just kind of paused for a second to just let that moment kind of sink in, you know? And then, verse 5, the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was, he was crucified. He ain't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where the body was lying. Can you, can you imagine the Father with millions of angels and all of the saints, right? We know from Hebrews that all of the saints are gathered who have gone before, gathered around the throne of the Father. They're looking down at this moment. It's like, it's like some gigantic otherworldly stadium. I mean, imagine, right? Have anyone been to a stadium before? Football, soccer, hockey, baseball, right? Like when a great play happened, what happens? Like that's what's happening right now in heaven erupting with celebration. The Messiah is risen. The Messiah is risen. How can the angel not have a big old grin on his face? He is the first one in the universe to publicly declare the reality that the Messiah is alive. He's got to be smiling. 
He's got to be happy. I'm not sure exactly where Jesus is at this moment, but I feel like he's watching too. So we're going to see in a moment that they're going to run into Jesus. Maybe he's kind of off to the side, you know, hiding behind a cypress tree or something. Can you imagine how happy Jesus is in this moment? Think of the biggest job that has ever been set before you. The hardest work you've ever done. How do you feel when you're finished with that job, with that task? Don't you just feel like, oh man, I'm so glad that's done. I just feel so good. Just so happy. Can you imagine how happy Jesus is? having just finished the work that God called him to do. The excruciating call of the cross is behind him. Can you imagine in his humanity, don't forget he's fully man, how good it feels, the relief that he feels. That it's, I mean, it's just party from here on out. He has just completed the greatest of all tasks in the history of tasks. And this is not merely his rising from the dead that he's happy about in and of itself, but the fact that this resurrection has released a new power into the world. Resurrection power, a new work, a new creation age has broken in, a new kingdom, a whole new world is opening up before the disciples in this moment and us. It's beginning. (laughs) I mean, how exciting is that? How joy-producing had that to be? Okay, back to the angel. The one with that grin on his face, right? Now he tells him, come on, don't believe me? Come on. Like, can you imagine he's sitting on the stone? Like, are you, are you having trouble believing this? Come, like, come in here. Like, really, come, come in, come inside. Take a look, see where his body was. It's not there anymore. See, I've rolled the stone away. Not because Jesus needed an exit, right? But because they needed an entry point. They needed to be able to go in and see. And before they even had all that much time to look around, the angel continues his message. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. You will remember what I have told you. In other words, do not waste any time because those disciples that I know are hiding away, trembling behind closed doors, afraid of what's going to happen happen to them. Let's not leave them waiting any longer. Boy, I could talk for a little while here on the irony that it's the women that are the first to know especially in this culture who are sent to then go tell the men what has happened. Tell them what you've seen. Mark down my words. Remember my words and say them exactly to the disciples. So the women, verse 8, ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened. Wouldn't you be? People don't rise from the dead. How would you feel if you buried someone you loved and they showed up? You'd be a little frightened. But also, read on, filled with great joy. I mean, wouldn't you be? (laughs) Are you now hearing the news, being reminded of the news that Jesus is alive? Are you happy to fill you with joy? 
This day that we are reading about right now, that we now call Easter Day, today, Easter, Resurrection Day, is our greatest day. It's just our greatest day. This is a day that we should celebrate with gusto. This day should actually outpace every other celebration day that we have. This day should be bigger than your Super Bowl watch party. This day should be bigger than your wedding anniversary. This day should be bigger than your birthday or your retirement party. This is our greatest day, and it should be filled with great joy. When I moved here, we moved here, I uh, got a subscription to the Mountain Mail. I read the Mountain Mail, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. And the second issue of the Mountain Mail that I got had a story on Fibark. Y'all familiar with Fibark, aren't you? I was not. I had to look it up. So Fibark is this celebration, apparently, of a couple of dudes who challenged each other to a kayak race in 1949. And now to this day in our community, we celebrate, right? There's an entire weekend. Go out onto the website. There's a lot of stuff happening. I mean, there are bands. There, there is food. There are, there are races, right? There is a, there's a stinking parade going down F Street for Fibark for a race. Now, I don't mean to offend you. I know I'm new. And honestly, I'm telling you, I'm going to be there. It's a festival. Good food, celebrating, happy people, folks racing. I'm all over that. I'm going to be there. We should be there. We should enjoy that. Here's my question. What are we, as the church in the Arkansas River Valley, not just Grace Church, I'm talking all of us now. Let's get a bigger kingdom mindset. What are followers of Jesus Christ doing to celebrate something that happened, you know, just a little bit before 1949? Like 1,915 years before 1949? The God of the universe who became man and took on flesh and lost none of his divinity and died on a cross, and rose from the dead? What, what are we doing to celebrate that? What kind of celebration should that demand? See, I, I have been so challenged, and it started with reading that article. I've been so challenged, and I am not saying any of this to make you feel guilty, okay? That is not, this is not where I'm headed. I just want to get us thinking what kind of a festival is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus? I mean, think about this. God, God gave the Jews a week-long party when he delivered them from Egypt with descriptions of exactly how that should look. Isaiah writes about it like you should have the best meat and the choicest wine and the greatest bread. Like he doesn't want it left to chance. Like I don't want you to just kind of party. I want you to really party because I delivered you. So how much more on this thing that we call Holy Week that is this like pointer back to a Passover week, how much more should we be celebrating? What should our festival look like? 
maybe the reason people have difficulty believing in our witness to the resurrection of Jesus is that we don't seem all that excited about it. N.T. Wright says this, it is long overdue that we took a hard look at how we keep Easter in church, at home, in our personal lives, all the way through the system. And if that means rethinking some cherished habits, well, maybe it's time to wake up. We should put the flags out. Now, again, okay, because some of you are wired like me, and you're going to be like, oh, man, I totally blew it. I don't have, like, any party planned for after this service. I'm such a failure. I'm an awful Christian. Jesus. That's not what I'm here to do for you. I'm not scolding you. I'm releasing you. I'm trying to awaken you. It's not too late. It's not too late to celebrate. Listen, if, if you can't put something together this Sunday, you know what? Just pretend April 24th is Easter Sunday. I don't care, and neither does he. Just, like, have a celebration. Well, start thinking right now. What will you do? What, what could it look like? You know, Bruce, I was thinking, I was thinking maybe we should put in the budget like a Easter Festival 2023 budget line. Like we should just start saving right now. Like all of us, we should be doing that personally. We should, there should be a little line in our budgets like Holy Week celebration. Put, you know, whatever, 20 bucks a paycheck into the Holy Week celebration. And a year from now, you're like, I don't know. Oh, shoot, I didn't do the math on that. <laughs> However much money that is, <laughs> more than $20. It would be there. Like, oh, we can't really do, oh, wait a second, we've got $1,000. See, God wants us to do this because the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest thing that has ever happened. And you know what? Here's the other thing. Part of how I think resurrection power gets released into the world is by our joy. It's by our joy. Let's make the world take notice of how happy we are in Jesus because of how awesome he is. Maybe, can that just be like the mission statement for the next year? Let's make the world aware of how happy we are in Jesus because of how awesome he is. Okay, rant over. Back to the text. Um, Verse 8, they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. Okay, so we have to pause again. <laughs> Sorry. I want you to see that the joy just keeps showing up. Because I love what is happening right now in this moment when Jesus meets them and greets them. Because it's positively fantastic what Jesus is doing here. And I'm not going to do this often. It's not often that I'm going to tell you you know, something that's in the Greek because I want you to know you can trust your English translation. So don't doubt your, these are good translations that we have, but there's something nestled in here in the original language that Matthew does in this little phrase. He greeted them because you see the verb there actually has as its root, herate, which is the word joy. So what Jesus is doing, right? Like <laughs> somewhat, 
you know, you don't know tone in the story. You just got to put your imagination hat on, right, and, like, imagine what this looks like because here they're, like, just kind of walking and, and, like, just all of a sudden he just kind of happens to bump into them. Like, isn't that fantastic? Like, it's just some casual, like, I'm just out for a stroll in all these tombs and, like, oh, hey, look, hi. <laughs> and literally... What this greeting implies, because there's joy at the root of it, is it's the idea of someone who's so happy and they run into someone else, and it's literally in the imperative. It's like a command, like, happiness to you. Howdy. Happy. <laughs> Nestled right in there. Like he's just got a big old grin just like that angel did. Why? Because the work is done. And he's meeting his friends whom he's just saved. And they ran to him, verse 9. They grasped his feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Then the story turns, verse 11, to the skeptics of the risen Messiah. I promise the next two won't be as long as the first one. Verse 11. As the women were on their way, in other words, meanwhile, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and they said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. So it's 40 years later when Matthew's writing this story. So the first question is, why was a meeting called? And to answer that, I think we have to answer the question, why did they kill Jesus in the first place? And I think the answer to that question is because he did not meet their expectations of a Messiah and how they wanted things to play out. And they didn't want to crown him because he was threatening their agenda for the way they thought things ought to be in the world and their lives and their power and their rule. And Jesus didn't fit their categories, categories that they didn't want disturbed or upended. That was what began when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. That's what was happening as Jesus was doubling down in the temple on who he was. And they just simply could not see Jesus and his ministry and what he was saying and proclaiming. They could not see God working in it. All they could see in Jesus was their lives changing, their power removed, their control destroyed, their understanding shaken, their normal way of life, their routines, their traditions, their celebrations, their meetings, their calendars, their holidays, all of it threatened by this Jesus and therefore forever altered if he's to be proven true. I find it really ironic that they asked Jesus for a sign when he was on his cross. Do you remember? Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted God, so let God trust, rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God, so come down. We'll believe you. 
Well, here he is. And he didn't come down from the cross, but he came up from a tomb. He rose from the dead. But it doesn't matter. They still refuse to believe. And now the worst of all possible worlds has happened. Disaster has struck. It seems he's still alive. Killing him hasn't gotten rid of him. And the resurrection is only going to make things way worse. They get that. So the only way to get rid of Jesus is to get rid of the resurrection, right? So they got to come up with this story, which is like a really lame story. Have you ever thought about this? Like this is the lamest story ever. If the guards were asleep, how do they know the disciples stole them? Tell them you were sleeping and the disciples stole them. Wait, what? If one of them awoke in the middle of the theft, why wasn't an alarm sounded and more guards roused and responding to the issue that was happening that could have taken care of the problem that they were afraid of in the first place? These are not sharp cookies. It's just a lame story. It doesn't hold water because he rose. And this... Listen, today it's not, I didn't set myself the task to try and prove to you that Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not going to give you all the evidence, but I will tell you this. No credible historian, Christian or otherwise, no credible historian tries to make the case that Jesus did not rise from the dead. No credible historian does that because there's just too much evidence. They just choose not to believe. They just choose not to be a disciple. They try and come up with other explanations, but even credible secular historians will confirm that it happened. Unfortunately, there are still skeptics around trying to make unfounded arguments for why he didn't rise from the dead. And I, and I want you to think, isn't that because they feel the same pain that these rulers and elders and scribes and Pharisees feel. Namely, we feel threatened by the resurrection of Jesus if we don't believe in Jesus. Each of my kids have asked me over the years, especially in a time maybe when they're struggling with their faith, when they're struggling with belief, all these things that we taught them, right? Growing up in our home, they've grown up in a Christian home and we've taught them ever since they were little, all these things that they've known. There always comes a point with each of my children where they ask, is it really true? Does he, is he real? Does God really exist? It's usually, that conversation usually happens at bedtime. I'm sitting on the side of the bed. I'm about to bless them before they go to sleep. And my answer to them is, yes, it is really true. And the reason that I believe is because there is no other religious leader in all of history, Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, there is no other religious leader who has lived and then died and then lived again. Only one. And his name is Jesus. And because he rose from the dead, 
I believe that everything that he said was true because he said he would, and he did. And I think logically it follows, I can believe everything else he said if he rose from the dead. I can believe that there is a God because he talks about a God. I can believe that this is a trustworthy book because he, he said all of these scriptures, Luke chapter 24, whoops, All of these scriptures are a unified story that point to me. A man rose from the dead and said, I could, I could base my life on this. And so I do. See, this, this is what changes people's lives, friends, when they step into this story, when they understand that it's true and it actually happened and that Jesus is real and so are his teachings. And the problem, kind of the tension that that raises is that you can't go back to the way things are then once Jesus enters into your life. <laughs> you can't live the same way. He won't let you. He messes with your categories. He gets in your business. He gets up in your grill. Now, there's a lot in your life that can still remain the same. You can still enjoy great food. You can still kayak, hike, ski, which I've done and I love and I'm hooked. But there's so much more that he's just going to radically alter and change. And all that stuff that you love, he's going to make a million times better. Because everything's better with Jesus. See, Jesus says, because he rose, you have to listen to me. Now here he is, showing us how to live, where to take your sorrows, where to bring your sin, where to go if you are lost without hope and feel no place to begin, where to find love that lets mercy come in, where to see the ashes of your hollowed out life burst forth in beauty, where to find grace so free that washes over you and recreates you. Jesus is where you can experience endless love and be released from your chains and be a prisoner no more, where you can have your debts canceled and your freedom granted, where you can sing, Free, free, forever I'm free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yes, I'm free, free, forever, amen. When death was arrested and my life began with gusto because of Jesus. And all of that is really beautiful. And it all means it can't go back to normal. Because in Jesus, you are now joy-filled messengers of the risen Messiah. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped. But some of them doubted. Hmm. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them the, by baptizing these new disciples into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you all the days, even to the end of this age. So what we have before us is the very straightforward response of every worshiping and hesitating disciple of Jesus. And it is to live a joy-filled, transformed, 
transformed life as a messenger of the risen Messiah. It doesn't matter who you are or what state you are in, how broken or how cleaned up. And did you catch the disposition of some of them? Some doubted, or the word is hesitated. Some hesitated. Makes me think of Olaf in Frozen. Do you like my hair? You hesitated. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they did hesitate. They had fled at Jesus' arrest. They had deserted and betrayed him. They had denied him when questioned, one of them doing so three times. They had not believed his predictions of cross and resurrection, and they had hidden themselves after the crucifixion. Haven't we all done similar? Haven't we all had our moments of fleeing, desertion, betrayal, denial, disbelief, hiding? Haven't we? We've hesitated. But here is Jesus this morning, standing before us on a mountain, promising power and presence. This is a great way. I mean, what a great way to end the story. Jesus standing there promising power and presence. Jesus has all authority, all power in heaven and on earth from his Father. All. (laughs) All of it. And isn't that what weak and hesitating disciples need? Jesus' never-ending, worlds-upholding, lost-people-rescuing, resurrection power? Is that what we need? And you can be sure of this, Jesus will be with all of us as worshiping and hesitating disciples all of the days until the end of this age and the new creation age begins. And isn't that what weak and hesitating and maybe thinking they are all on their own disciples need? The powerful presence of Jesus? Oh, this is so good. Like if you get nothing else from this morning, well, please take the joy bit, but if you get nothing else from this morning, take away that Jesus in all power is with you right now. He's with us right now. And because we have his power and because we have his presence, we can go. We can make disciples. We can baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We can teach them every, everything Jesus commanded by reading and teaching and living. Matthew chapter 1 through 25. Because that's how the joy of Jesus gets spread, right? Okay, we're joy-filled messengers of the risen Messiah. And that joy gets spread through worshiping and hesitating disciples who believe in the world-altering reality that Jesus has risen from the dead, just as he said. N.T. Wright, when he reflects on the resurrection, and and he does that, I was reading this week him reflecting on the resurrection account found at the end of John's story. You remember where Jesus is interacting with Peter who had denied Jesus three times and he asks him those three questions to line up with the three denials. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love my sheep? Wright says that what is happening in that moment is that the resurrection power of Jesus is 
going to the very root of Peter's denial and sin and bitterness and transforming him into this man who's now sent out in power to change the world and to do that in joy. And that's what Jesus does for every single one of us, family. When we come to him with the empty hands of faith and say, save me, forgive me, fill me with your joy. Worship team, would you come up? And then he sends us out into the world to throw festivals and meals. and Let it start with a meal in your home. Invite someone over to just give them a great meal and wonderful conversation. It doesn't have to be huge. Just happy. <laughs> He's with us, empowering us to do it. And let those with ears listen.